Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment, action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Human Affairs or DMA and check it out right now. Hey, how you doing? My name is Joey Galvez, and I'm here to invite you to head on over to the 143 Podcast Network to check out all our shows that range from collecting, music, all things geek, all under one roof, right here on the 143 Podcast Network, partnering with Age of Radio. Check us out. What's up, everybody? I'm Brian Wayne, and this is episode 24 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. This week, I'll be talking about all of the comics released on the 27th of March, 2019, as well as talking about anything else relative to the world of comic books. So, there will be spoilers and definitely language. So, if you're cool with all that, grab yourself a drink, and let's talk about some comic books. In the meantime, we drink. When this week we are drinking, we are drinking Upslope. We, this might be the second time we feature these guys. I don't know if it's necessarily a feature. This is what I felt like drinking the week. That's really what this whole thing's about. It's not necessarily about featuring somebody. These guys aren't paying us to do any of this. This is just what looked good in the cooler. Um, so yeah, Upslope Brewing Company from Boulder, Colorado, where the hippies and the rich both coincide peacefully. Uh, if you're going to move to Colorado, move to Boulder, because, yeah, um, I won't see you. It is a, <laughs> it's a lager, and I dig it quite a bit, so, Upslope Brewing Company, you will be providing the buzz for the evening. Now, um... Let's talk the news, and first, I kind of want to, there might be points throughout this podcast where you notice a lack of energy coming from me, and I'm going to have to go ahead and place blame on the economy. (laughs) Uh, And I say that because I decided to volunteer my Saturday, Uh, this is not a humble brag, this is not about what I did, this is about what happened and uh, my my comic book store, the Lakewood edition of Mile High Comics, uh, they closed their doors. Uh, and over the last couple of days, I had been helping them move. Now, this isn't because they were failing as a business. No, keep in mind, it's Mile High Comics. They are the world's largest comic book store. Chuck knows what the fuck he's doing. Uh, they just got an offer they couldn't rock and refuse. And they got out of their super expensive, ridiculously expensive Denver shopping strip mall lease 
and they just merged merged all the uh, all of the inventory back in with um the uh, the mega store, the Jason Street mega store. Once again, the world's largest comic book store. So they added to their million plus comic book inventory today by a lot. Um, so yeah, no, I uh, I moved a lot of fucking boxes, long boxes today. So throughout the podcast, you might see me tinkering down, or you might not. Who fucking knows? But in the meantime, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, um, preemptively blame stuff. So onto the real news, I would like to talk about. Another Marvel push for cash that I am not against. Guys, I really don't care if Marvel pushes for money. It's up If you're an OCD completionist and you're mad that Marvel puts out all that money, like, fucking, I guess, go see a therapist or something. You know, I don't know what to say. They're going to make their money because there are people out there like myself that are more than happy to go for that shit. I don't go for all of the covers. Like... And if you guys have been following this podcast at all, you know that I am covering War of the Realms like a motherfucker. Um, but I am not buying a single variant for this, or at least there's nothing that stood out to me. But on the other hand, onto the news, and that's kind of segueing into the variant section, it's uh, we're doing Carnageized covers. So if you remember last year or late 2017, one or the other, it might a combination of the two, uh, Marvel came out with uh, Venomized covers, and they were it was my favorite thing. I, I'm still searching for like the last, I'd say there's like 12 to 15 more that I need, because they actually put out two editions. They did one run where it was Venomized Heroes, and they did Venomized Villains. And I started out by just like grabbing all of the covers that... Uh, uh, affiliating the characters that I enjoyed the most, and then I just started accumulating the ones that, you know, I just, because I am a completionist, but not to the sense where I need to complete everything. I just find one thing or a hundred things, but I don't, yeah, you guys know what the fuck I'm saying. Anyways, so yes, uh, Carnageized, and that is all due to the fact of Donny Cates' wonderful, absolute carnage event that we will be getting very, very, very soon, and I can't fucking wait, man, I can't wait, so, uh, that's, we do got a, a, a bit of news this week, so let's carry on, speaking of War of the Realms, uh, we got a theme song that <laughs> dropped, and I think that was all on account of C2E2 stuff, it might have came afterwards, I'm not sure, WonderCon, don't know, I don't know, I don't go to the con, so I don't follow it, I'm waiting for Denver, baby. Um, anyway, so, yes, they have a theme song now, and it's not just some Joe Schmo comic book nerd that composed it, it's, um, Jimmy Schmo Urine, uh, I, not really Schmo, Jimmy Urine, of uh, Mindless Self-Indulgence composed this two minute and thirty four second butte. So, if you're looking for some tunes to read your War of the Realms to coming up this week, uh, you got some shit. And it's uh, designed specifically for that. Um, carrying on with the news, <laughs> I don't know how to say this. IDW is in trouble, but they're not in trouble. <laughs> There's some financial situations. There's a meeting that may or may ma- um, not amount to something, according to the uh, people that run that shit. 
So, uh, I'm not peeing, I'm pouring a beer for the listeners. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you can necessarily consider it news, other than the fact that IDW is attempting to uh, fix their stuff and get more money. Essentially, there's rumors that they're pretty much for sale. And if I knew... Oh, Strange, stop itching, bud. If I knew how much... Does Dr. Strange live in the background, baby? Um... If I knew how much it was worth and I could just make <laughs> make that amount of money happen, I would immediately buy the second most uh, popular, I guess. I, I guess I looked at a poll that said popular. But popular independent comic book company. And they're responsible for shit like Ninja Turtles and Rick and Morty and, I mean, uh, fucking Transformers and so many amazing things from IDW. Uh, just second to, believe it or not, Image. He goes, Image, IDW. you think they'd be like Valiant or something. No, IDW. And they're in trouble, guys. Go on, buy their fucking comics, goddammit. So, um, uh, I, I don't know if I bought... Yeah, I definitely bought some IDW comics this week. <laughs> I'm all uh, hypocritizing myself. So, yeah, no, um, once again, there may or may not be news out of that. <laughs> That's kind of what the, uh, yeah, who knows. Anyways, um, ba 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 ba. Oh, Detective Comics is changing forever, forever. Um, visually, that fancy logo that we got used to will be done for starting Detective Comics 1001. And you know what? I kind of like the, the, the new logo. I will, uh, hmm, how do I say that? It reminds me of, like, Batman the Animated Series. If they decided to make Batman the Animated Series in 2002. That's what I get out of it. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But it, it brings up a bit of a nostalgic factor. It's kind of a cartoony logo, but at the same time, it's still kind of grim as de 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 any Detective Comics anything should be. Like, that's just how I see it in my head. So, yeah, no, and uh, I guess if you're going to put out a thousand issues, you have the right to rebrand, rechange, whatever the fuck you want, because, dog, I mean, 80 years? Seriously. I'm, uh, I'm cool. I think this is only, like, the third or fourth time they've changed the logo. Like, only the, the second or third time since the 70s, I believe. Maybe I'm, my numbers are wrong. Did you know that 96% of statistics are made up? That's uh, that's a statistical fact. So, yeah, and last but not least, the thing that I am super, super fucking excited for, and I think I said it from the very beginning, I called this shit. God damn it, am I still fucking excited for these guys. I can't say how excited I am for Sanford Green Crew, David F. Walker, Chuck Brown. You guys created a fucking masterpiece with Bitterroot. And, you know, this is coming from fucking a white dude. Like, the whitest dude you know. And I thoroughly... And if that... If that if you, for people that are unfamiliar with it, if that... What that's referring to is that this is a black-owned comic referring to uh, black struggles in the jazz era but with a horrific zombie-like type of theme. Not necessarily zombies, but along those those lines. It's a beautiful, beautiful fucking story. And I gotta say, it's in my top three 
independent comics out there. Uh, top 15 on my pull list, or top, probably top 10 on my pull list, I don't know. Keep in mind, guys, my pull list is over 100 books deep, so that, that means something. And it is picked up by the production company known as Legendary. So it ain't some fucking, like, this isn't going to come off, probably not going to come off as a, uh, blah, 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 what's the, the, an indie film or whatever. This is probably going to be a, a theatrical release. I would only imagine it's a theatrical release. And the first thing that came to mind when I saw this, and I don't, maybe, it, I, to me, this just proves to myself how much I really fucking enjoy this comic, is who's going to play Ford. Ford is my favorite character of the Sangris family. And, um, oh, the, the, the second most, the second thing I'm most excited for is to actually hear how their last name is pronounced. I don't know if it's Sangris, Sangris, Sangri. I don't know. <laughs> um... Yeah, no, that's uh, beyond the facts. But I, I want to know who this cast is. I can't even think in my head who I would cast as Ford. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I would have, God rest his soul. Oh, no, okay, never mind. I'm not even going to, like, make you guys' eyes cry. Uh, rain. <laughs> make your eyes rain. Uh, uh, Ving Rhames needs to play... Um, not Ford, but, uh, um, god damn it, not, Ferg, that's his name, jeez, fucking, I'm going on about this goddamn guy that I love, and I can't remember his name, I think the beers are working, um, so, yeah, no, uh, shout out to those guys. I'm so excited, not just for them, but for myself. Like, I am a fan, and I said from the beginning, these guys need a movie. I thought that it would be dope animated, but live action would be way better. I am so excited to see who they cast as this. I know the movie's going to make a trillion fucking dollars, because it's... <clears throat> and more than anything, I'm just glad I bought all the issues, because it's going to make some money. So that's a little bit of uh, financial speculation news as well for you. So I would, uh, that's all I got for news really. So I think it's time I get on to the overview of the week. And at this point, there will be spoilers. Once again, like I, like I said, I'm going to talk about some books more than others. That doesn't mean I like a book more than others. It's just, yeah, you guys know how this works by now. This is episode 24. So, let's get on with it. Ice Cream Man from Image Comics. I'm going to start out with some indies again this week. Ice Cream Man number 11 by W. Maxwell Prince, Martin Marazzo, and Chris O'Halloran. Cover, this is a variant cover I decided to pick up by Babs. Tar. I know that's kind of hard to say two words together like that. It sounds like Babstar, but it's Babs Tar. Anyways, so this is another one of them brilliant single shot stories that Ice Cream Man has been doing. It has solidified itself as my favorite horror story. 
And this is a sequence of uh, how you say <clears throat> um, reality show type of segments that just kind of all segue into each other and all play a horrific part in this poor sucker's life. And this poor sucker, sucker being Will Parson. Um, <laughs> so he's on some weird show called uh, Mannequin House, and it's, it's like The Bachelor, but with mannequins, and he's being presented this, or hopefully, like, ideally he would be presented this rose, he's not sure how he feels about having this rose, because he's so confused about what's going on, he even says in the opening panel, writer, confused, or some shit like that, I have it right here, I can look, uh, yeah, no, writer, confused. So he's on this show, and the mannequin, and it is, it's a bunch of mannequins, faceless folk that don't articulate well, and he does not get a rose, and the host is our, uh, judging by that beautiful jawline, that, that presidential feature he has there, the ice cream man, and I love that he has a different look throughout this entire series, but just based off those piercing green eyes, and that, like I said, presidential Zellan, you just always know who he is. Oh, and the, 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 the smile, or the, um, smile lines. Though that's another key part to his, uh, character's, uh, character design as well. I'll be damned if this beer doesn't work well. I hope that in Colorado, the, uh, convenience stores can still, um, be on near beer now. Anyways, back to the comic. Uh, so then he just kind of, like, he gets carried out backstage because he's booted off the show, essentially, and he moves on to another show. He opens the door, and he's, like, on family autopsy, and this is where it really starts getting dark, as he has to operate on his uncle, <laughs> and it's, oh, man... It just continues to get creepier and creepier as it goes on. So, yeah, no, he's got his uncle on the operating table. And, you know, he has this, this thing he's got to do in order to achieve the whatever. And he does not. <laughs> and then he moves on to a show called Chopped. And it is uh, essentially a cooking show. Right? Obviously. But with a zombie and a pit bull and one of the mannequin fuckers again. <laughs> and they have uh, very, very unique ingredients to play with. Um, one of them being a human foot, a head of lettuce, and uh, good old Uncle Bob's teeth. And Uncle Bob being his uncle. <laughs> and he doesn't do very well on this show either. So he's on to the next one. America's Got Intestines. And he's out on the stage, and it is essentially what you, it's America's Got Talent. You got your, um, oh no, fucking judge. But all three of them have the same, like, ice cream. They're essentially all the ice cream man, just with, like, very mi uh, minor differentiating features. Um, they've all got the jawline, the piercing eyes. The middle one having, like, the big bulgy, like, insane black beady eyes. But nevertheless, they all, they're clearly... The, the ice cream man, and they're the judge, and they're like, oh, yeah, no, wow, that's great, and then the middle one's, like, revolting, truly, hmm. you're Simon, but only he should be on the right, except for on the right one actually is really Simon, because he says such rubbish, sorry, I don't mean Simon, you know what the fuck I mean, it's not Simon, but, uh, 
And then he looks down, and he realizes that all of his intestines are fucking hanging out. And that's gross. So, <laughs> um, he's booted. That's not good. You're not supposed to do that. So he gets booted backstage, and from there, it just gets weirder and weirder. Um, he gets into this alley where, where he sees some, like, guy falling apart, and then that kind of segues into the next show that he winds up on called Wealthy Family of Zombies, and just picture the Kardashians if they were, uh, zom- wait, hold on, if they were zombies? That's, picture the Kardashians, I guess, you know, um, hmm, the whore, <laughs> and then we get another mannequin again, I mean, it's just, he's, he's laid out on the table, and the, the, Zombies are getting ready to eat his goots. And the next show is The Missing Parsons. And it's a family that... Uh, his his family photo is what the page is. That they actually show at one point early um, when he's showing the uh, Uncle Bob uh, autopsy shit. And in the family photo, it has Uncle Bob and Mr. Parsons all X'd out. So, yes, no, once again, another brilliant, brilliant story done by W. Maxwell Prince, and this artistic team is just, like I said, spectacular. I don't, I don't know what else to say about it, really. Um, so, let's continue on to, excuse me, Spawn from Image Comics. I know I've been going on and on about how I'm going to talk about Spawn and get caught up and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what, bitches? Caught up, fucking getting ready to talk about Spawn. And I'll be damned if there's not a better time to get into um, what is about to be Independence Comic, Independent Comics' longest-running series, once it gets to the 300 mark. Spawn 295, Todd McFarlane, Jason Sean Alexander, and... Uh, God damn. God damn. So, the last, like, five or six issues up until this has pretty much been um, Spawn acquiring his his um, league of deadly mafakas, <laughs> for lack of better words. Uh, there's probably ten trillion better words. So, our story starts out, we got the Violator, and he has... Uh, spawn pegged to a cross, not a Jesus cross, like an X cross, <laughs> and he's got him pegged using his finger bones, his finger claw bones as spikes. It's, dude, this fucking comic is so gruesome and so gory, and with Todd McFarlane, I'm just gonna, like, pause for a second on the comic, and I wanna, t- no, I'm talking about Spawn. Uh, we all know the Spawn movie is happening, whether you like it or not. Whether you're a naysayer or not, if you're a naysayer on a new Spawn movie, I think you're playing traffic. Um, but uh, McFarlane just keeps announcing on how gruesome and non-comic booky this movie's going to be, and horrific, and very, very holding up to the standards of an R-rated movie. And that might even be a little saltiness on the fact that his beloved Venom got the the bump from R to PG thirteen, so he want he might want to be like you you know I'm urgh, my goddamn creations need to be R I'm Todd fucking McFarlane like I'm sexy evil like urgh, I don't know what to say 
Um, <laughs> oh boy. Anyways, back to the comic. This this book is very reflective of how I assume the movie is going to go. There's not a giggle in this movie. There's a clown throughout this whole fucking book, and there's not a giggle in this whole goddamn book. So, we got pretty much Violator telling Spawn on how fucked he is, and we get, at this point, we know that Al Simmons has been outed as being alive again, but his beloved is dead, so, you know, there's, yeah, but he's got a daughter out there, and, uh, she's kind of missing from what I presume, not totally sure, but, uh, could, the fact is she's alive, and we may, she may or may not know of Al Simmons' presence. I probably should know that, but I don't. Anyways, uh, the fact is is that everybody knows that Al Simmons, he back from the dead. We got our usual, and usual meaning throughout the last uh, 15 or so issues that I've been reading, we usually get at least one page throughout a Spawn comic where we've got three very different news sources. One being CRN, which I can imagine is more of like the CNN, if you will. Then we get Info Now, which is kind of like what I would imagine your e-entertainment would be if they were media on bigger news, like relevant news that doesn't involve pop stars. And then you got your KRGH, which is just very clearly your uh, <laughs> your blatant... Oh, I'm not going to use his name on this podcast, but you're very... Uh, psychopathically minded, but maybe kind of, you know who I'm, you know who I'm talking, you know who I'm talking about, would probably work for Fox News, maybe on the Fox Channel, you know who I mean, but that guy, cusses, screams, rants, raves, and then, alright, so from there, we get our, our usual page, and then, it backs over to a uh, recurring character. He's kind of, um, he, he's, he, he would be like Peter Parker to Spider-Man if he wasn't Spider-Man, you know what I mean? Like how J, uh, Peter Parker reports to J. Jonah Jameson, like, oh, yeah, no, I know, Spidey. Well, it's th- this character, uh, what's his name, Rosen, is essentially him, but he's not Spawn. So, like... He knows some shit about Spawn, he got in close with Spawn, but that's a fucking problem right now. And this is what this page, two-page spread, is pretty much divulging. Uh, we get a character by the name of, uh, I want to I wanna say the name's Coliostro, and he pretty much approaches Rosen, and he's like, look, I know what you know. And beings that I know what you know, other people know what you know, and that's valuable shit, and I'm here to offer my protection. And, yeah, so you get kind of like this shakedown, but in walks the boss, and you're, you know, oh, I need you to do this story, and this is way more important, and blah, blah, blah. So we get that whole thing, like, there's more to what I said there, but yeah. Then we go back to uh, Violator and Spawn. And Violator is seemingly just, like, owning Spawn, torturing him, like, ah, fucking hurting, yeah. And we get this moment where Violator pulls out a fucking bat wings, and he pulls out a feather, and he's, uh, he puts this feather in the ground, and from this feather derives a snake, or these two snakes. We get a black and a white snake, and they both come up to Spawn, and he 
fucking face to face. And Spawn is pretty much like, you're better off just like rolling with me, snakes, because I'm fucking Spawn. Well, snakes don't listen, because I'm not sure they have ears. And they go to attack anyways, and when they go to fucking strike, spawn faster, and he bites their fucking necks off, guys. I'm sorry for the F- I'm not sorry for my F-bombs. But there's an abundance of F-bombs when spawn is being talked about. Subconsciously, that's probably why I don't talk about spawn as much as I should be. <laughs> um, so, yes, no. Yes, no? I guess. And then from there... After Spawn bites the heads off, we start to see these figures rise from the sand. These figures are figures that Spawn has been recruiting through the, uh, the last few issues. And these figures are Saigars, and they are cla- they're not new guys by any means. At least from, I remember seeing old school toys for at least two of the three of these guys. So maybe I'm wrong on this. I should probably look this up a little more. But now that I know for sure that I love Spawn, I know that this is all going to come to light. Anyways, these figures are, um, uh, Cygor, the Freak, and Overt Kill. Now, I know that Cygor and Overt Kill are legit. The Freak doesn't seem new, but I could be wrong. The character design is feckin' amazing. It's like this very malnourished zombie-looking, not that there's a lot of fat zombies out there. Melner is a zombie-looking character wearing a ballerina tutu and carrying around, like, a voodoo skull. And, god damn, is it fucking creepy. And then we, we know Saigor and Overkill. And they rise, and they're pretty much cornering Violator at this point. And he... Violator's trying to be like, oh, you don't have me spawn. But deep down, he knows that he's kind of fucked right here. And Spawn's like, you know what? No, I'm not going to go after your boss. If I kill your boss, it's no fun. I just want to scare him. Like, I want to let him know that Spawn is very much a fucking threat. Armies, blah, 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 blah. You know, know, Spawn's all about. So he takes his head, the Violator's head, and he rips it up. And he puts it on a pike. Doesn't kill him. That's not how the violator rolls. You don't kill the violator that way. So he's there as a scary warning. So essentially, the cyborg or cyborgs, um, uh, spawns undead pets. Air quotes. Uh, they uh, they they were seem like more of a distraction than anything. I really can't tell you what the purpose of them rising up was from, because they didn't really physically do anything to Violator. uh, Spawn just, like, handled the snakes. His pets came up and cornered Violator, and from there Spawn was like, well, you're you're fucking worthless. But uh, that's not where the story ends, really. We get the... um, side panel of somebody watching from beyond, and I want to say that this character watching from beyond is known as Redeemer, and he pretty much, he sees all this, and he realizes that Spawn may be a little bit more than uh, he bargained for, not totally sure, but he, uh, he calls all armies, essentially, or all, all available, all available warriors to duty. So, 
we know that Spawn has some uh, bad things fixing to come after him. He's more than fucking capable. We got some Violator action. Did you guys see this cover? You guys go out. If there's... if Oh, uh, man. So, Jason Sean Alexander is an amazing artist that is <laughs> way beyond the art world in comics. And I don't mean any disrespect to comic creators. I just mean, like, the dude is known way beyond the world of comics. And goddammit, it's Todd McFarlane writing his Baby Spawn. Not Baby Spawn. This is Spawn Kills Everyone to Spawn. Um, guys, I can't gush enough about this comic. Spawn is fucking brilliant. And for the people that have just not found the jumping on point, there's really only been two jumping on points from Spawn. Um, two good jumping on points from Spawn, and that's Spawn number one and Spawn 250. From there, it's all just a gamble as far as what what the story is at that time and what it relates to is to past Spawn stories and all of that. Spawn 295 is the story leading up to something that McFarlane has been hyping for a very, 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 very long time. And it's... Uh... God, I, I can't gush about him enough, guys. So, essentially, 296 is going to be a story, the jumping on point. Well, 295 would be the jumping on point, but 296 is going to supposedly explain the last 295 issues. And then all lead into the next four or five issues up to 300. So, that's what we got going on there. I spent a lot of time on Spawn, but God damn, was it worth it. It's been a long time coming, guys. Sharky the Bounty Hunter. More Image Comics. Number two, Mark Millar, Simone Bianchi. I got the Scotty Young cover, cover B. All right. So we know that uh, old Sharky is, he's got two things on his plate right now. He's got to take extra Billy back to his remaining family on account of Sharky uh, killed everyone else that was close. But in the meantime, he's going to make a pit stop and make a quick billion coda as one does, and collect a bounty on a bitch. This particular bitch being Edra Deering. And, uh, so, this is essentially what this, this mission is taking care of. They're, they're, they're going through searching for this bitch. I keep saying this bitch. She's a bitch. You'll find out. And they land on this, uh, planet known as Arid. And he tells old Extra Billy to stay in the snow cone. The snow cone being his ship. Because it's a fucking ice cream spaceship. Ice cream truck spaceship. And so he goes off and he's looking for information. Uh, he using his clues. I go into more details about this, but I'm not gonna. Fact is, while he's... Retrieving his information in the ways he does, he sees this locket thrown on his feet. This is just any old locket. He knows that this belongs to Extra Billy. This makes him immediately realize that Extra Billy has been obtained. Turns around, sure shit, motherfucking named Frank. He got him, and he's like, "Oh no, I'm fucking 
you know, uh, why don't you just, um, give me everything you got for this kid. And Sharky's like, well, I don't think I can do that. And you think they're about to be the good old-fashioned fucking standoff. And faster than any human eye can blink, bam, shots fired. Uh, wasn't Sharky shot first. And it wasn't Frank either. It was this some bitch from a distance, and this some bitch is the guy that we saw at the end of issue one, who was uh, also aware of this billion dollar coda or billion coda um, bounty. So he's face to face with Sharky. He's got his crew. Sharky's got him and this little kid. And he's got this gauntlet. Uh, 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 Big H is his name. Big H has this gauntlet. And it is known as the Lightning Glove. And he goes to fire this Lightning Glove at Sharky. And Sharky, in the most fucking goddamn perfect Mark Millar way, he kicks his blast. Just straight up kicks his blast into... Three separate ways, taking down Big H's crew, leaving Big H to just fucking stand there looking like goddamn idiot. Oh, there's also some other chick involved too. Um, oh, there. So he doesn't take out the whole crew. He takes out everyone but Big H and some other chick. And um, Sharky's not as. I mean, he meant to take her out as well. And even in he's like, oh, that blast was meant for you too, bitch. And. uh... So, they, I mean, with that, they just kind of, like, from there, Big H is like, well, I got nothing. Carrying on. On to planet Infinitus. And still searching for this Edgar Daring bitch. And they're going through with all the information that Sharky was able to obtain in the last little scenario. And while he's searching, he turns around, or he doesn't get a turn, he doesn't even get a turnaround. Behind him comes dear old Edgar Deering, that old bitch. And I tell you what, <laughs> once again, they sell me with the uh, the cursing in this book because she calls him a uh, fuck knuckle. And I thought I was the only one that said fuck knuckle. I guess I, I think dead, dead in Deadpool 2 he said fuck knuckle. But I definitely said fuck knuckle before I heard that. The fact is, is that one of my favorite terms, I'm not explaining I coined, but one of my favorite terms that I hear very, very rarely was used at the final page of this book to describe the amazingness that will happen in issue three of this six-part series. If you're not reading Sharky the Bounty Hunter, it's Mark Millar, guys. Go get this shit. It's... Incredible. It is goddamn incredible. Moving along on to IDW, Transformers number two. So, this book, um, it's still very, very world-building. I don't find it to be as exciting as the first issue was, and I don't know if the first issue was more exciting. There was no action in or, or anything in the first issue. There was more action in this, actually. But, um, I don't know if the... Uh, I just, it wasn't quite as exciting, but at the same time, 
I still enjoyed it to the point where I'm going to continue reading Transformers. So where it left off last time was Bumblebee, the mentor to this newly, somewhat newly made Rubble character, along with Windblade, are on their way to Brainstorm to try to figure out uh, what Rubble's purpose in this Transformer world will be. And when they arrive to Brainstorm, he did. Now, this is a big deal on account of Transformers don't hurt each other in this world yet. So, um, we have uh, a couple of Transformers that fly in to investigate this. Like I said, this is a big deal. And these two are Prowl and Chromia. And their first instincts are strange. Stop snoring. Their first instincts are to uh, immediately blame Rubble because he's the one that found the body. And Bumblebee's like, nah, nah, it's not a, it's not. <laughs> um, and there's no way it's him. I'm sorry. It's just he's. You guys are wrong on that. So the investigation continues on that end. But meanwhile, they, uh, Bumblebee still wants to make sure that Rubble finds his purpose. So he takes him to somebody that he thinks might be able to help him. Uh, and he goes to Wheeljack. And Wheeljack is a in the industry of construction. So Bumblebee pretty much just drops him off and be like, eh, see if you dig on construction. See what Wheeljack can tell you. And they, uh, they work on a moon. Yeah, just worked on a fucking moon. And Bumblebee comes back, and, uh, he's, uh, he's like, oh, how was that? <laughs> and meanwhile, the other part of the first issue was Orion, soon to be Megatron. Hmm. Uh, he ha was having a heated meeting with... The fucking goddamn... No, I'm sorry. Not soon to be Megatron. He was having a meeting with Megatron, is what I mean to say. Soon to be Optimus Prime. My bad. Y'all know what I mean, though. Um, so, yeah, no. They refer back to that whole thing. Megatron is having his meeting. And the meeting is going much more dandier than Orion had anticipated. So, he kind of sends out a signal to Bumblebee to let him know of this craziness. And during this meeting, shots fired. Once again, that's a big deal. There's no violence, robot-on-robot robot violence in this this world. The, so, yeah. And there, we don't know where the shots fired come from. You know, the uh, Megatron sends his posse out, and like I said, no clues, completely fucking no suspects. We don't know what's happening, and that's essentially how the book ends, um, with Megatron being mad, calling them out, cowards. Indeed they are. So, uh, once again, like I said in the beginning, I, I'm not totally sure how... It wasn't a bad issue by any means. I'm just not sure. It, w it wasn't exciting as I hoped 
it would be by now. I'm assuming at this point, with the end of this issue ending in violence, that some shit's about to go down. I want to see Megatron flip, because at this point there's not a Decepticon type of situation, so... Yeah, man, I'm uh, totally digging it. Moving along, Bloodshot Rising Spirit, number five from Valiant Comics. Kevin Gravo. John K. Snyder III and Jason Wright, covered by Felipe Massafera. So, uh, we know that Bloodshot, he's having memory issues. He's cornered by the Hard Corpse, H-A-R-D. Um, uh, and this, this team involving Gunslinger, Hammerhead, Maniac, and Shakespeare are all trying to pretty much capture Bloodshot because he is kind of gone rogue at this point. The Rising Spirit program, they're trying to falsify memories in his head, and he's getting glimpses of his actual reality. Now he's getting glimpses of his family in this issue, and that's confusing him even more. But not keeping him from handling the hard corpse. All except for Gunslinger, who does eventually take him down and bring him into custody. So, Bloodshot Rising Spirit, I... If there's a Valiant title that I was uh, super excited to get on, looking for a jumping on point, I like that the Rising Spirit is kind of a... Um... How do you say, uh, origin story. The origin story. And now we're through issue five of this origin story, and eventually before the Bloodshot movie does come out, um, we are going to get another Bloodshot title from Valiant. I, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it all. The art in this one, it seems like every issue varies, and I, uh, I dig it very much. There were a couple points in this issue where, I, well, not a couple, there was one panel, I will say, where a guy's throwing a punch, throwing a right cross with the wrong fist, or using the wrong action. So, once again, there is, there seems in every issue, when they bring in an artist, there might, there's something just kind of off-putting a little bit. Not, not bad, but just my eye doesn't understand, maybe. Maybe it just needs to be explained to me better. Not totally sure, but... Once again, in this issue, there is another instance of that, but not to the point where it hurts the book, I would say. Not by any means. Alright, guys, let's, uh, let's move on to DC. As you all know, something of a milestone happened in the world of DC Comics. Uh, something involving, like, a Batman? The Batman, maybe? Detective Comics number 1000 happened. That's what happened. And, god damn. So, we got a 96-page giant here. 80 years of Batman, essentially, is what this is celebrating. I'm not going to go through and give you all 96 pages. I'm going to give you a couple of my favorite stories. It was all done by a bunch of various uh, artistic and creative teams. One of them being <laughs> Warren Ellis, Becky Cloonan, and Jordi Belair. This one, uh, just uh, it was towards the beginning of the book, and it's more of just a chase scene than anything, to be honest. I was attracted to the story because of Warren Ellis. But, yeah, no, it is, uh, 
He's chasing, he's chasing, he's chasing, and Batman does his batman thing. By, I know that sounds like an awful fucking overview. The fact is, is that Warren Ellis did a Batman story, and there's no way I could possibly redeem Warren Ellis storytelling. That's just, I mean, that's fact. So, uh, the other one being I Know by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev, which is an amazing creative team. Uh, last known... not la- They've actually done something since then. I first was introduced to this team with uh, Infamous Iron Man. That's where... Yeah. So, yes. No, we get a fucking Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev story. And essentially what it is is the Penguin, an old Penguin... Explain, uh, explaining to an old Bruce that he knew the whole time based off some uh, essential and, how do you say, words are escaping me today. The God damn, this beer. It ain't near beer, it's the 7-Eleven anymore, I tell you what. Um... So, you yeah, know, Penguin knew the whole time, pretty much, is what I'm trying to say. Lost words. <laughs> and you realize that um, during this whole, like, blah, 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 and I had it over you the whole time type of scenario, that Bruce is being wheeled into Arkham, and Penguin's all locked up, and I really didn't do that story any good. What it comes down to is Brian Michael Bendis chose to write the Penguin story, and Alex Maleev chose to fucking illustrate it. God. Mm. Guys, my... I can't do justice to the detective comics that I enjoyed this week. There's... And there's an abundance of stories. The best one is easily Tom King's, though. And... (laughs) It's actually a funny story more than anything. It's... It's a gathering of all of the Bat family. They, they're being gathered for a reason. They don't really understand. They think someone's being kicked out. We get all these flashbacks of Bruce visiting this gravesite. And then you realize that this gravesite is the gravesite of his parents. And we get this beautiful fucking full-page full spread of <laughs> a, uh, a family photo is what it is. And you get Batman saying cheese. <laughs> I fucking love it. I, I, I thought Tom King did a great job. And I know the, uh, if, you, if you look at this book and you read this book, you might be mad that Batman is split down the center. And the artist is very aware that he made a uh, critical two-page spread error. It's splitting a character in half down the mantle. Uh, but he was actually purposely instructed to do so. It's not like the talk bubble, the cheese bubble, was affected. We 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 get the picture. The no but no other member of the in the photo, and this photo goes deep. I mean, we got signal, we got um, Ace, the bat dog, and Red Hood, and even Alfred in there. Aw, I love I. I want this this poster is what I want. It's it's beautiful, but it's it's this very dramatic comedy 
is <laughs> what it turns out to be. I love it. I love it very, very, very much. But in the end, we do get our usual Peter J. Tomasi and Doug Mankey, along with Jaime Mendoza and David Baron, writing the canon detective comic story. And I'll be damned if it does not bring in the uh, the medieval or the Arkham Knight into canon. Fucking, that's uh, a big deal, I guess. I know it doesn't sound like I'm thoroughly excited there. I actually, I, I, I don't know what any of that means. I just know that based off the media, that's a big fucking deal. So, with uh, all of that being said, I think it's time to move on to the next book. Uh, well, I, I guess like I really can't say enough how much I appreciate the fact that Detective and Action both made it to a thousand. It's where the Detective did make it, or did start it out first, and Action caught up and got to the thousand mark first, but nevertheless, Detective did not fucking halter, and I look forward very much to Peter J. Tomasi and how they're bringing in the Arkham Knight and all that good stuff. So, Yes, I uh, would like to talk about a book that I was skeptical about. I have named my favorite DC title, and I was worried that now that particular arc is over that it would not hold up. Well, the fact is that it does, in fact, hold up. So... Batman Beyond, number 30. Dan Jurgens. Um, uh, Doc Shaner and Jordi Belair. And I picked up both covers. I'll talk about the variant later. Chris Samney and Matthew Wilson did cover A. And, dude. I... Like I said, I was worried. I was worried it wasn't going to hold up because I was so familiar with the first story, with it being, you know, relative to death in the family and blah, blah, blah. Well, it starts out pretty awesome. We get um, this decades from now, blah, blah, moment, and we get an old Joker, as we did in the beginning. And it shows both Terry and Matt McGinnis tied up in the Batcave. Um, we got Terry tied up to the big Joker card. And uh, Matt McGinnis <sighs> tied up to a Tyrannosaurus Rex tooth. The Tyrannosaurus Rex tooth. And just as Joker's getting ready to swing crowbar, he wakes up. Because it's a dream sequence. Joker's dead, remember? Fucking... And Barbara... Confirms it in the morgue. She's like, ah, oh, check it out. He did, in fact, die of a heart attack. And Bruce is like, hmm. I guess, uh... I guess. I guess. So, meanwhile, <laughs> Batman, the new Batman, Terry... He's out fighting justice, 
searching for folks, and, uh, Dick's like, well, no, or not Dick, uh, Matt, he's, did I say Matt to begin with, Terry, Terry McGinnis is the real Batman, is what I mean to say, the now Batman, he's out fighting justice, Matt wakes up from his, uh, little nightmare nappy poo, and he's like, wait, no, Matt's out fighting justice without me? That's, I need to be out helping him. I'm Robin. I'm Robin. And, uh, Bruce is like, so? And Dick's like, I still don't think he should be doing that. He's traumatized. Traumatized being the proper word. Now, if you're wondering what old Terry's doing, his, his mission is to take out the remaining Jokers. What the G? What a Z. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> this is truly drunken comic book overviews. So, he's down to take out these bunch of math feckers. And Matt decides, you know, fuck what you heard. I'm going to save him. And he actually gets to a point where he's one-on-one -on -one with a little female Joker. More of a Harley impersonator than anything. And if she's going to swing the crowbar, because she's like gaga-eyeing him, she's like, mm, yeah, I like you, you're super, like, illegally young. <laughs> and uh, he falls for it, and crowbar goes to swing, and then BAM, Dick Grayson comes in. And uh, he stops the crowbar. And fucking, I, you know, I will say that he is very much dick not Rick Grayson in this, so it confirms the, the fact that in the Nightwing comics, uh, Rick will be Dick once again, so, but, yeah. And at this point, they go back to the Batcave, and Terry pretty much confirms that Matt should take a hiatus from being Robin, and Dick is like, wait a second, hold on, what about, uh... What about Harley? And then we get this scene where we get um, this figure, seemingly Harley Quinn, is wheeling this figure down this hallway, and this other bloke is very much knocked out unconscious, and this figure... Seemingly Harley refers to the wheelchair figure as Puddin. So, what I get out of all this is that um, maybe her or Joker's not dead. She's wheeling him out of the, the morgue. And, uh, yeah. And that's where the book ends. So, once again, uh, Batman Beyond through the first part of the second arc that I'm reading is still my favorite DC title. And I gotta give it to Dan Jurgens on that, man. I really do. It's it's a beautiful thing. I <sighs> good shit. Goddamn drunken rambling. So let's move on to the next book then. Shazam. Jeff Johns, Dale Eaglesham, Marco Santucci, Mike at Leia. Atea, uh, covered by Eaglesham and the brilliant Alex Sinclair. So at this point, the the Shazam kids, have the orphans, have been separated throughout the Magic Lands. They were originally at the Fun Lands. 
Um, Billy is still at the Funlands being held captive by King Kid. Um, uh, two of the other kids are in the Wildlands. Um, was it Freddy and Darla? And in the Wildlands, it's a bunch of animal folk. So pretty much like <laughs> Bojack Horseman, essentially. And in this Wildlands world, humans are considered extinct. So a couple of human kids showing up in this world, they get captured. And then we go over to the Earthlands. And in the Earthlands, throughout the last few issues... Uh, Billy's supposed rightful father shows up, and then uh, orphan parents are like, oh, well, this is news, let's go tell them, and they realize all the kids are missing, so in this little segment, they get them showing, or uh, they're, they're, they're filing the police report is what's going on here. Then we go over to the game lands, and in the game lands, we have Eugene and Pedro. And they are approached by what I'm going to call game cops. And they're like, show me your ID. And they they don't have an ID. It's kind of an, uh, uh, that's a thing. They, they, they need their, their ID. And the kids are like, well, we need to get out of here. And they're like, well, psh, if you want to leave this mafeca, you got to get a million points. And, uh, to access the CPU. So, I, we're just, I mean, I think we could all, uh, when you read it, you, you, you just naturally know what it means. It's, it's better storytelling than I'm doing, I promise. That's why it's Jeff Johns that writes it, not me. I just talk about it. So, um, yeah, no, and, but they just kind of, slam, and take off out of there from being in custody and then we get this ref this page of Black Adam walking through the not necessarily the magic lands but the what do they what do they call it the uh, the, the, the place where you access the magic lands essentially and we get this dope ass page where, or the, the Rock of Eternity, that's what I'm trying to say, the Rock of Eternity, if you're keeping track, and this person walking through the Rock of Eternity is, um, uh, Black Adam, it's Black fucking Adam, Billy Batson, you have no idea what you've done, and what he's referring to there is accessing the magic lands and disrupting something, I'm assuming, a human? So, yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> I very, very, very much, I think it's been, alright, we're at four issues now, three out of four issues have been fucking astounding, one, three, and four, dope, King Kid is ridiculous, oh, there's another fun fact, while Billy is being captive, held captive by King Kid, he's explaining what happens when the kids grow up in Funland, and they pretty much get run down to the bottom of the, uh, the under the world, I guess, is how you would imagine that, I would imagine, hmm, so they, and it's pretty much just a bunch of people shoveling coal, and once you turn 18, essentially, you're an adult, and it's time to, uh, shovel coal, and down there, Billy... 
realizes that his good buddy that was captured earlier, Mary, is also down there. So we get that bum-bum-bum moment. So, like I said earlier, or just a few seconds ago, uh, Shazam is dope. It is an everybody book. I think everybody really should check it out. It's, I mean, especially because the movie's coming out and days, and people have actually already seen the movie at this point, so, yes, no, Shazam is just as good as our movie, more DC, Action Comics 1009, more of the Leviathan Rise, Leviathan Rises, (laughs) Leviathan Rises, Rising, Oh boy. Brian Michael Bendis, Steve Epting, and Brad Anderson. Cover by Steve Epting. Uh, there's a lot happening here. In the last issue, Amanda Waller came busting through the door. She was dealing with Lois's daddy. What we're getting here, Lo- uh, Superman takes old um, Jimmy Olsen, who was also happened to be napping in... Lois and Clark's bed when Amanda walked through they are all over in the uh, Fortress of Solitude now so that's where Amanda wakes up and Amanda's explaining all of the uh, evilness that's happening she explains that Talia Al Ghul was chasing her at the time of her entrance into Clark's humble abode and, um, from there we get Lois kind of, she's there with Amanda, and even at one point in time, like, slaps her around a little bit for dealing with her father in the manner that she did. Her father had, like, a heart attack. Uh, back at the the whole scenario where shit went down in the last issue. And we do realize at this point he's not dead. There was essentially what we assume is the Leviathan, air quotes, standing above him. At least that's what I assume. That's my presumption. And, yeah, so then Superman... He, you see the scenario where he's, uh, no, he goes to check in on Lois' dad. That's what's happening. And when he sneaks in through the hospital window, the question is sitting in the corner in his creepy ways. And Superman, he's pretty much like, you know what? I'm going to send the Wonder Twins. They're good kids. They're going to be here to back you up. You know, protect Lois' father. I, I love that Brian Michael Bendis has to... <laughs> Uh, he's gonna write the Wonder Twins, guys. That's and Superman to protect Lois's Faja, dude. I'm excited. I'm very, very excited. Back to <laughs> um. And then Superman he goes to the Batcave and he realizes that Superman he or Batman he's busy dealing with the Riddler, but Alfred's there. And he's there to, um, Superman asks his favor of him. He's like, oh, why don't you figure this, oh, uh, oh, there's this note 
that's left behind, and I want you to run it through f- your forensics or whatever, and you pretty much be Batman. And then Superman pretty much gives him this nod. He's like, you know, Alfred, you're uh, super unappreciated. Super unappreciated. You're you're the fucking bee's knees, man. <laughs> I, I kind of dig that Superman does... He does give the kudos. And I like that Batman's not playing a part of this. They're just... And this is a Superman story. Batman's um, tools are being used without Batman. So they're still bringing in all this stuff. I like what Brian Michael Bendis is doing here. Eventually, I mean, I, I mean, I did read a Brian Michael Bendis Batman story through Detective Comics, but I don't know. I'm just I'm excited to eventually see it happen. Rambling. There's really a lot going on in this book, guys. Then he goes to the DEO site, which is where all of the bad stuff, the destruction where Amanda Waller had to escape, and Lois's dad essentially had his heart attack, and yeah. And (laughs) he gets info on uh, Strange. I'm... Yeah, he doesn't, it's it's, it's a weird, weird thing. Can't totally say for sure, but the the fact is that the strange comes up, and then after he gets back to the Fortress of Solitude, Lois is going on about this uh, Chaz the whole time. And (laughs) uh, Jimmy's like, Chaz? He's trying to detectivize what Chaz is like. Oh, is that maybe what... Superman is maybe, and what we, uh, it turns out that Lois has this Kryptonian technology to be able to disguise themselves, so they go undercover as Chaz Donnan and Andy Donnan. I would only assume, and <laughs> he's this uh. African American fella and Lois pretty much just looks like uh, Lois if she were Morticia Adams that decided to wear white is how I would describe that. But uh, yeah, no, it's <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. It got goofy, but still, it very very exciting, exciting shit, no doubt, by no means shit. Uh, both Superman stories that Bendis is writing is still continue to be enjoyable. Last DC book I'm going to talk about. Um, <laughs> weird shit, man. Number seven of nine, Heroes in Crisis, Tom King, Clayman, Travis Moore, Jorge Fornes, and Tomal Moray, covered by the wonderful Mitch Gerard's Gerard's, 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 however you say it. Someone will tell me right. A lot of stuff going on in this book. Still very questionable stuff happening. Uh, We know that the last two issues have a lot of shit to cover. There's something that I've been speculating quietly without expressing throughout this story. And this book confirms just a little bit more. 
and I'll get to that. At this point, I'm going to divulge what my speculation is about this. I think I figured out Tom King's pattern, and I'll get to that more in a second. So it starts out with Wally in this field, and he's got this rose, and he's his, his static speed force something something. I don't know what you call it. You see electric bolts, volts, um, towards this rose that is dead when he digs a hole for it, essentially. And we get this beautiful two-page spread by Clayman of Wally standing in this field, and uh, there's all the flowers are made out to say heroes in crisis, but there's one flower that's done very, very boldly. And that, I'm assuming, is the one that he had just planted. Then we go back to what I'm just going to go ahead and say has been my favorite uh, setting and scenario, duo, team up, whatever, that's been happening throughout the Heroes in Crisis. And there's been some good shit. But we got Harley Quinn and Batgirl. With my second favorite, Booster and Beetle. Uh, so what we get here is Batgirl really trying to drill it into Harley's head that no killing, no killing, no killing, no killing, no killing. That was a whole thing when they were off to the mission to begin with. No killing. Well, Harley just doesn't understand what that means. <laughs> so she is beating, or uh, trying to beat the shit out of Booster. But he's got this shield. Meanwhile, Batgirl and Beetle sit in the background pretty much just like shovel and popcorn metaphorically and going on about how the it's a futile fight not gonna happen then we get more of Clayman's beautiful nine page setups uh, the confessional in the sanctuary and what this is is Wally's first day there and he's kind of he doesn't know how he feels about going into Sanctuary. He realizes he has a problem, and then, yeah. Then we go to Travis Moore's art, and it is Barry and Batman looking for Booster and Gold. They have uh, uh, Booster's, what do you call it, um, skeets. They have Booster's skeets. Well, actually, Booster gave it to Batgirl, so, hmm, that should be coming into play very soon, because it is mentioned, but, uh, yeah, no, they're, they're really looking for Booster and Gold, or Bo Booster and Gold, Blue and Gold, Booster Gold is what they're looking for, this is a good one, guys, and... <laughs> it's, uh, I, I find this scenario pretty funny, actually. It's more of Tom King's um, almost British type of comedy. Or it's Batman going, oh, no, we're searching through all here. And then it's Flash going back and forth. He's like, well, not in Australia. He's not here. He's not here. And then Batman's like, well, no, I've naturally searched through all of his uh, safe houses in any place that he would be throughout algorithms that uh, my detective advising would naturally determine Batman. 
So yeah, no, it's I I think it's kind of funny, but really what they're showing, they're he's just Tom King leaving out or not leaving out the fact that Barry and Batman are a part of the story still, and meanwhile back at the ranch, that's what they're doing. So <laughs> we go back to Barb and Beetle sitting there watching the madness happen between Harley and Booster. And Beetle explains, like, oh, no, his shield is, like, totally powered through my consciousness. Like, that's how I was able to do something, 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 something. And Barb's like, oh, so as long as you're, like, awake, Beetle's, or Booster is pretty much untouchable. And Beetle's like, yeah, dang. She just bops him out, and <laughs> right as Harley realizes that she has her spot, I love the... The panel of her eyes is just so wide without being cartoony. It's like realistically wide. Um, it's, oh man, so good. And she goes to take that swing. And then we cut to another nine-page thing. <laughs> commercial, but much more interesting than your typical commercial. We go back to uh, Wally back at Sanctuary, and he was like, oh, yeah, uh, so week one was great, kind of. Family, 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 all of them gone. So just, you're once again, you're very typical Sanctuary confessional at this point. This time, all of the confessionals are done by Wally. I will say that. There's no other weird side characters, C-list, D-list. Elemental P list characters for that matter. <laughs> Tell him King's been really wrenching in there. He's like six seconds away from Condiment King in there. <laughs> and uh, just as Harley's getting ready to take that blow to uh, Booster, he's like, you know what? Fucking do it. I, I admit, I, I'm, I'm, I did it. And he's not admitting to killing Wally, he's admitting to just not serving his purpose. Good fully. <laughs> like that one. And Harley has another moment, just like she did with Barb, where she just kind of, like, goes to swing and just, like, caves in. And goes and just, like, lays down next to him. And they're, like, laying down there on the ground. And they realize at this point, they're, uh, probably better off all working together. And I'll get to that more in a second. Meanwhile, we go back to Wally in that field. And uh, referring to that rose again, and his uh, snapping crack electrification to this particular rose, out of this rose comes poison ivy. And maybe one of my favorite panels of the year. I got a lot. I've probably said that a couple times now. I'm eventually gonna have to go through and keep track of this for the year and episode. But definitely just, I will say, and I, th I even said it in a tweet, Clay Man is my favorite person to ever uh, bring the, the beauty of Poison Ivy to life. And he's drawn her in many, many, many different ways. Uh, I was first introduced to Clay Man's Poison Ivy through Amy Chu's Cycle of Life and Death. I think he did four or six of those issues. He, he, he did a few, and God damn, did he really sexify <laughs> Poison Ivy in a way without making it obvious? He just knows the beauty 
the poison ivy needs to be drawn. I can't stress that enough. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. If there's any reason at all to particularly go out and buy issue seven, a heroes in crisis, is for that full panel spread of her resurrecting. Then we go back to um, Harley, Barb, Booster, and Beetle. And Booster or <laughs> Beetle, he's He's de-bloodifying his nose that Babs gave him. And he's cool with it. You know, he gets it. Booster is grateful that he's not um, hammer-brained. And we get this dialogue between them all exclaiming that I'm not exactly sure how it all comes about. I'd have to read it again to really remember and deliver it properly. All the more reason for you guys to go out and read this book yourself. Uh, what comes about is they realize that maybe through Sanctuary and all of its... and a possible glitch that Wally isn't exactly dead? Could be. Probably not. Isn't. But certainly is. That's pretty much how Tom King delivers that message. Once again, in the most Tom King of ways. For sure. <coughs> and, um, and they pretty much propose this team up, and it is Blue and Gold and the Dynamicer Duo. <laughs> Sink that in. Blue and gold on the dynamic or duo. I fucking love it. I do. I love it. Then we go back to Wally. Oh, Wally. And the beauty that is Poison Ivy. And he exclaims, I'm sorry. And she's like, well, you helped me. What are you sorry for? And he was like, well, I didn't help you. I hurt you. And, uh... I did all this, and this bringing you back. This isn't. This isn't enough to pay you back for how badly I hurt you. And she's like, "I don't get it. What do you mean?" And he's like, "Well, I'm sorry you have to see this." And she's like, "Well, what am I gonna have to see?" And he's like, "My death." And then she turns around and says, "Another Wally. That's another fucking Wally." And. uh... <laughs> Okay, and that's how it ends. Well, I mean, then we get another Wally confessional. And he's uh, going on to week four. Don't think he's going to make it much further than that. Because uh, on account of... I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. I really don't. I just know that Tom King has a lot to explain in the uh, next two issues. That's for sure. I really can't say how excited I am for the next few months to happen so this series can end. And it's not because I don't like the series. That's because I just, I have no fucking clue what's going to happen. I, actually, I take that back. I do have a clue. That goes back to my, uh, my pattern of what I think Tom King is going to do. 
And I don't think that Wally died at all. I think that Sanctuary glitched because it has this ability to make people perceive these moments to help them uh, work it out. That's what Sanctuary is all about, is them working this shit out. And, you know, showing the human side of shit. So I have a feeling that the super technology in Sanctuary just super glitched. And I, uh, I, I, I really do want this series to end. <laughs> just so, like I said, I know how it... I don't know what's going to happen. But that's all I have to talk about about DC by no means was that the, uh, <laughs> um, all of DC Comics. There was still a bunch of stuff that I, I wish I had time to read. Good stuff for sure. Like Martian Manhunter, I, uh, I'll talk about all that later. Anyways, let's move on to Marvel, baby. This book, um, I, I think I remember saying that I was going to sleep on it. And then I just decided that it, it just stared me down on the shelf. I picked it up, and I was super, uh, super pleased. <laughs> Surprised and pleased is what that would be. Star Wars, Vader, Dark Visions, number two now. Dennis Hopeless, Brian Level, and Jordan Boyd, covered by Greg Smallwood. Uh... Originally, as I went through this book, the, uh, I, I'm just, I say every, I put every comic on a 20-page scale. So if I say through 19 pages, that just means through 99% of the book. Not literally through 19 pages. But through 19 pages of this book, the whole time, I'm like, what, this is a Vader book, what the fuck? So let me explain very briefly. It pretty much revolves around uh, Commander Tylux. And we get this scenario in the very beginning where he has this kind of dream sequence, or flashback sequence about how Vader treated the last person in his presence that uh, failed and how unacceptable that was. And that uh, pretty much instills the fear of God. Or Vader. Uh, in old Commander Tylux. So, his mission here is to capture this rebel. Vader is on his way to Commander Tylux to retrieve this rebel. To do with him what Vader does with a rebel. Um, that's not the point. Fact is, is that uh, Tylux doesn't have this rebel. So he goes to chase him. And he chases him right into giant goddamn worm monster mouth. And Tylux's ship is way, way bigger. He goes in after it and uh, jams up the worm monster mouth all good. He gets stuck is what happens. He gets stuck. And uh, then Vader shows up. But it's a little too late for Tylux. He doesn't have him. The rebel, that is. Especially because the rebel, through a, uh, um, whatchamacallit, uh, fucking hyperspace drop or whatever, I guess is what you would call it. Five more of them ships show up to back up this other rebel that Tylux is after. 
super fucked. And that's when Vader shows up. And when there's no rebel to happen, we get, like I said, 99% of this book, there's no Vader. Like, well, I mean, in the uh, I guess 97%, because we get a, a bit of them in the beginning. But you know it immediately it's a, a flashback scenario. So, yeah. But goddamn, when he shows up, it is so fucking Vader. You just... You get the ship that Tylux has crash-landed in after the, the five rebels six rubble ships at this point in time have blasted the fuck out of. He's sitting there, he's taking his last breaths from his oxygen mask and we get his eyes all bulgy as he looks up. It's so beautiful, man. This last page is how you end fucking comic books. It is so beautiful. You hear failure. Eyes get bulgier. Lightsaber comes out. That's right, bitches. Lightsaber comes out is room unacceptable. And that's how that motherfucker ends. Vader straight up annihilated Commander Tylux. That's... Dude. Alright, I said this on the internet. Once already, I'm going to say it vocally now. I didn't think that I was ready for a writer to take on Vader after Charles Soule. I really, 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 really enjoyed Charles Soule's Darth Vader. Um, I like the fact that the next Vader thing to happen was a miniseries. I was weary of the fact that they were going to make Vader a anti-hero. And once again, I said after reading the first issue, fully fucking okay with Vader being an anti-hero. Now, um, after reading two issues by Dennis Hopeless, I would like to think that Marvel listens to me because, why wouldn't you? Dennis Hopeless needs the next Vader ongoing series. He really, really, really deserves it. This is, the dude has, has the storytellability that Vader deserves. It's dark, it's mysterious, it's unexpected. I very, very much enjoy the style that Hopeless is writing. And, I mean, uh, we've had two different sets of artistic teams, I believe. And I've enjoyed them both very, very much. This one kind of reminded me of, uh, like, late 90s-ish. Um, and I mean that in a very, very good way. And the the way it was colored was brilliant. It all just paid perfect tribute to what this Vader story really, really continues to deserve so vader dark visions people highly recommended uh moving along dr strange number 12 legacy numbering 402 herald supreme part one 
Barry Kitzel, Mark Wade, Scott Kublish, and Brian Reber. Covered by Jesus Saez. So, hmm, this book has continuously got. I, I think, like, after issue 10, I just. Very good. Very fresh. So, Doctor Strange is bored, is what it comes down to. He's. It's like, dude, I've been there, done that, man. Like, I'm just, like, wishing for a challenge, bruh. And, uh, <laughs> well, careful what you wish for. And right on cue, homeboy Zola's shows up. Zola's. Well, he on a mission. And he has some history with the failer named Galactus. Tell you about that failer named Galactus. Galactus is about to eat. Zolaz's planet, planet Zarax, as we all know, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, the, the whole potential eating the Silver Surfer came in, being the Herald of Galactus, and Zolaz actually manages to subdue him temporarily. And in his subduedness, uh, he's able to extract knowledge out of Silver, Surfer, Silver Surfer's brain. And the knowledge that he extracts is his, he's searching for his weakness is what he's looking for. And he realizes that, earth, that he just, all he gets out of his brain is the word Earth. And that's what attracts Zola's to come to Earth, 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 Earth. And on Earth, we all know is uh, Doctor Strange. So that's where we get that whole encounter, and boom, bam, curse bloosh. We get a showdown between the two. Doctor Strange is like, no, no, you can't. No, this is my Earth. You can't take it. And Zolaz is like, you fool. You don't know what you fucking with. You don't know what you fucking with. And he flexes hard. And he takes all of the magical items in Strange's magical mansion. And if you know even just the slightest bit about Doctor Strange, you know he's got a lot of magical shit. And he absorbs all of that power. And with that power, he's able to draw Galactus to Earth. Now, we know that Galactus ain't coming to Earth to eat it, because on account of the pact... Well, that's a whole different thing. The fact is that Galactus, he cool with Earth. That being his weakness and all. So, uh, when Galactus gets to Earth, he, uh, Zolas does what Doctor Strange would consider the unthinkable. And he banishes him. To, uh, or exiles him, banish, exile, however you want to say it, to a, uh, well, I guess we just, I'll go ahead and tell you this, the depths of the mystic realms, 
is what where he goes. Now, Strange realizes that without Galactus being a part of the universe, Galactus is as devastating and as awful as he is. Now, beings, there's probably a bias to the agreement on account of Earth is safe. Like, I think that's very safe to say. Uh, but beyond all that, Galactus balances the abundance of the the universe. And it's pretty... Galactus, to me, is the uh, the cigarettes of the universe. Some fall victim... Some don't. Earth. Uh, they, uh, if, if you were to relate Earth to Galactus, if you were, or, in Cancer and whatnot, uh, Earth would have lived in a bubble its whole life. Earth is cancer-free as far as cigarettes are concerned. That terrible metaphor is over. You're welcome. So, Back to the story. Uh, Strange is like, dog. Zolas. Bro. You can't be doing that shit. I'm gonna go get him. We need some Galactus in this mafaka. So he does go do the depths of the mystic realms. But fuck, he's too late. Just as he may have feared. Now, by too late, what we're referring to there is that if Galactus starts devouring any of the depths of the mystic realms, it's catastrophic to time and space and reality as we know it. At least that's what I understand out of it. <clears throat> Dude, I, I can't... That's how the book ends. It is strange... Approaches Doom, er, Doom, Galactus, and realizes that he is too late. He's already devouring shit. And he realizes that before he even approaches Galactus, because as he's making his way through the the portal, I guess, is what you could call it. That's what I'm going to call it. Uh, to the dimension of the Mystic Realms, everybody's fleeing. Fleeing hard on account of there's a bad guy coming or doing bad stuff and that would be Galactus so he, he knew before he even approached Galactus that he was too late and that's guys 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 this book uh, I, I think at like issue 5 I almost dropped it and I think I actually am, I, I think I did drop it twice. And during those times, my comic shop was going through uh, technical changes. And my, my drops didn't go through. The comic gods have made sure that I continue to read Doctor Strange. For issue 11 and 12, especially 12. 12 is by far... The best issue of this entire series. Easily. Easily. So, before I gush anymore, let, if you're not reading Doctor Strange, jump on... I'd say issue 11 from there would be the jumping on point. 
Beautiful stuff. Alright, more stuff that caught me by surprise. Hulk Vereens, number two. Greg Pack. Gui Villanova, Moray Hollowell, and Chris Sotomayor. Covered by Greg Lang, Jay Leistein, and Frank D'Armada. Oh, man. <laughs> I thought this book was going to be very force-fed and cheesy and corny based on the fact that, for one, the idea of Hulk Vereen already felt all of those three descriptive words. And then putting in Hulk Vereen along with Bruce Banner the Hulk and Logan Wolverine. Like I said, I just, I had very low expectations about this book. I could not have been more wrong and happily surprised to the outcome of issue one. Moving along to issue two, I told myself... Issue one was a flash in the pan. Too good to be true. Guys, I was fucking wrong. I was. I was very wrong. And I'm happy. I love it when I'm wrong. I love it when I'm wrong. So, let's talk about this bitch. Um, as referred to in pl- plan. Epi- episode. Hmm. <laughs> Issue one, Plan C was Clay's family finding a safe place that not even Clay knows about. So, foreshadowing much? Indeed. We go back to where we left off in issue two, where Logan came into this bitch, and he's about to fight Clay as he's running away from the Hulk. Uh, and why is he running away? He ain't no bitch. It's because he's going to protect his family. And that's what he's doing. He's going to protect his family. Logan fights him. Very briefly, though, because Clay's like, dude. And, you know, Logan, you get, Logan recognizes that he's not fully hulk vereened out. He looks more like a half-naked Logan with a... <laughs> way worse haircut <laughs> on account of it's not as cool as Logan's is what I mean to say anyways <clears throat> they uh they show down for a second and then Clay's like dude I got better shit to do I gotta go take care of my family and Logan's like say what you got family that's under uh like um pressure that's about to get hurt yeah that's carry on, sucker. And so he does. And he does carry on. And only for a moment, because then he runs into the leader. And if you listen to the episode where I, you know, gave the overview of issue one, I fell in love with the leader. The fact that he killed all them dudes with some playing cards in different ways. That is so fucking... Gangster. It's gangster. Is what it is. And I appreciate that. 
So, he approaches the leader and a bunch of other uh, kind of tactical some bitches that are also there on his side. And as Clay's going to make his move seemingly fatal towards the leader and all of these guys, he dives at him in this, like, type of way, and you can see that he's getting shot up, and he just gets, like, tackled out of frame by goddamn Hulk. Bruce Banner, the Hulk. The Hulk. And at first you're like, oh man, this is, dude, stop fighting, you guys should be cool. And that's what's happening. Heroicisms. I make up a lot of words, seemingly. <laughs> and Hulk, he he looks at Clay as he's <laughs> dented into the ground. And he's like, dog, no, I ain't here to hurt you. Fact is, is that you don't need their blood on your hands. Like, but I am super cool with my hands being bloody by their guts. And he attacks them. Hulk smash, but only in a more articulate way, because that's how he is now. And... Then we flash over to Logan. He just, like, casually trots up, and he's pulling uh, Clay out of the earth dent. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. I love it so much. And he puts him on the Harley. And he's like, you know what? I am not cool with families being in danger. Like, call me sentimental, but... I'm going to help you take care of this shit, because you don't need to know. You don't even know. You don't need to know. And then Leader is approached by this Dr. Alba, while Hulk is taking out Leader's crew. And Dr. Alba is a former member of Weapon X. And she exclaims how she knows how H is made. And she can help. And in their corroboration, they realize that, wait a second. Well, well, actually, let me back up for three paces. At this point, let me explain something. Leader, we know, is after Hulk. And beings that Dr. Alba is from Weapon X... She's there to hunt down Wolverine. And then through a bit of conversation, they realize that, wait a second, both of our targets are after the same target. So that's got to mean something. And they're like, with our powers combined, they're like, yeah, with our powers combined, I'm cool with that. I'm fucking, as long as you're a good guy, you know. And, but not before a... <laughs> Very futile battle between the two. Like, no, my powers are like, no, my powers are like, no, my powers. Fucking comic books, am I right? Gonna love it. So, uh, then we go over to Logan and Banner at this gas station. And they're like, so, uh, 
what do we do from here? Maybe we should, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wait a second. You're after the Hulk? Wait a second. I'm after the Hulk? Or wait, uh, there, there's some sort of, they, they put two and two together is what it comes down to. And then they realize, like, wait, no, Hulk should be here. And then Hulk comes, like, speeding by, and Hulk's, like, in a more articulate way, but there's no way I could... Uh, I don't think... It's going to take a lot of conditioning from Al Ewing, <laughs> I think, for me to articulate Hulk. He will always be, like, Hulk smash to me. So he, like, just so happens to be running by the gas station. Um, Hulk run. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well... Wait, there he is. Let's catch up to him and, like, maybe add some shit up together. And we kind of get, essentially, the same sequence that Leader and Alba had. They're like, wait a second. We're going after the whole... Wait a minute. And then there is this very... I don't know how to explain it. I will, I will, I'm just going to call it an unexplainable moment where Hulk's like, Fuck you, I'm out! And he Hulk jumps into the dawn... And both Clay and Logan look at each other and like, wait a second, what's he doing? We should we should probably just follow him, right? And they do, and because the sun came up, as you all know, or if you don't know, sun bad for Hulk unless banner emergency. <laughs> and uh, mid jump into the sea, you heard me into the sea. He turns into Banner and he falls in and Logan and Clay look at each other and they're like, well, shoot, can Banner, what the fuck just happened? Banner, can Banner swim? We should go after him. And where they find Banner is in the hideout or Plan C uh, and we get Clay's family there. And yes, we kind of get this whole... Reuniting thing, and yes. Then we flash back over to the team-up that is the leader and Dr. Alba. And this is where she gets super fucking hype. With their powers combined, they think they can develop... Now, the, the, the uniqueness that is Weapon H, Clay, is the fact that he is a Wolverine and Hulk that has the ability to control himself. By all means. And that explains his ability to have the claws out without completely hulk varining out. And this is a very powerful and useful uh, power. And they developed this thing <laughs> that resemble what... It's not a hulk varine, but I'm going to call it a Wolver hulk. Because it, it would be as if Hulk Vereen uh, had Logan's haircut and, uh, a, and a massive amount of body hair without being Sasquatchy. So, no. I'm going to call it the Wolver Hulk. Fact is, shit is getting real. What is better than three of these bitches? Four. Four is better. Four is better. Dude, <laughs> once again, hyper underestimation, making up words. 
I love this book. If you're not reading Hulk Vereens, it is like a five or six part miniseries. You're missing out. It's it's as good as one could hope. Carrying on. Ah, man. Another one that I was afraid wasn't going to live up to Charles Souls. Uh, Bar. That is Daredevil. Daredevil number three, Legacy 615. Dare, uh, Chad Zagurski. Said that wrong. And Marco Cicetto, along with Sonny Gugo. <laughs> I'm just, like, throwing in syllables. Sonny Go. Covered by Julian Titino Tedesco. Mm. Alright, guys. So, as we left off, it feels as if Daredevil, in the last couple of issues, feels as if Daredevil has been set up by Fisk. That is not the case. As Fisk explains at the end of the last issue, uh, he has nothing to do with this. And in the beginning of this issue, it, this issue Fisk is explaining that he is very much enjoying <laughs> the fact that Daredevil be fucked. How is he fucked? Let's recap. Uh, he's been set up. Looked like he killed somebody. And it's all over the news. Fisk has no problem blasting that and supporting that news. But he's not behind it. So, in order for Daredevil to completely prove his innocence, he tries to go back to the scene of the crime. At the scene of the crime is this new detective to Hell's Kitchen by the name of Cole North. And... Hmm. So, when Daredevil shows up, North shoots him. That's how the last... Or that, that goes down in the last issue. At this point, we get Daredevil trying to escape uh, the, the arrestization. I'm so good at making up words. <clears throat> that could be of Mr. Daredevil by Cole North. North Cole? Cole North. So, um, Daredevil does, at one point in time, he makes it away. But, as he does make it away, Detective North calls for backup. When Daredevil turns around the corner, all shot up and whatnot, there, he, he's, he's encompassed in this circle of law enforcement. But, nobody is attempting to make the arrest, because the, the law enforcement is split. Half of the law enforcement has either A, had been saved or had somebody they loved or cared about been saved by the Daredevil. Or B, the other half of law enforcement is corrupt and is petrified at the fact that the thought-to-be-dead Daredevil is back and clearly whooping that ass, or seemingly whooping that ass. Willingly whooping that ass? So many words. So, um, but not before long, the detective shows up, but in the crowd you could see Wilson, Wil, Wilson, Mayor Wilson Fisk standing in the background, uh, observing up close, getting that courtside seat. Uh, well, I mean, of a city's goings and comings and all. And, but, God 
damn is the look on his face by Chichetto drawn so satisfactory. It's mm, some of my uh, pause for a second on the story. I need a uh, Matthew Rosenberg, Marco Chichetto, uh, Maxi series of Daredevil and Wilson Fisk. Unpause. Um, <laughs> Detective Cole sh- uh, shows up, and he's like, dude, dog, bro, under arrest, sucker. You killed that some bitch. And Daredevil's like, nah, but look at all these dudes that aren't arresting me. That's gotta show you something, right? Cole whoops his ass! He does. Uh, keep in mind that Daredevil, be- even before he was shot, he, like, jumped out of a hospital window before fully recovered. And if I had to guess with my uh, spot-on statistics and all, I would say he was only at about, like, 63.4% recovered. That's bad. I'm going to count what he's up against. And even you would think, like, this normal, everyday detective wouldn't be much to be up against. But he used to box, too, apparently, based off of his uh, hands and movement. (laughs) But... So, yeah, no, um, astonished as the law enforcement and crowd is, as they observe, Cole does eventually take him down. God damn, is the fight scene amazingly brilliant, though. And even one uh, other cop kind of approaches Cole afterwards. He's like, dog, that's fucked up. That is. I wouldn't have done that, but I guess... Because, you know, you're all badass and all. Keep in mind that Cole is new to this this jurisdiction. He's he's a prick. And he's all hard up. It's like, it's like a big city cop moving into a small town that is used to nothing but action. And that's, yeah. Just imagine that. I've witnessed that personally, so I know how this is. I could probably put a name to this cop based off of experiences, believe me. <clears throat> Melvin. Um, so, yeah, no. Uh, he gets arrested, and while everyone's like, well, I'm not taking him in, you take him in, I'm not taking him in, you take him in. <laughs> Give it up! Um, shots firing. Uh... And immediately, as soon as I knew it happened, the thing that I've been hoping for and didn't think that would actually happen, fucking happened. Uh, it, the law enforcement scatters and gives the chance for Matt Murdo- Murdoch to be knocked the fuck out. And... <laughs> Not only... He wakes up. After we see the shot of this Gatling gun going off on this milling, and that just completely gave it away to me. Long, um, short story shorter, Punisher. That's how the story ends. The thing that I've been so excited about. Punisher. Punisher is what happens. We're going to get Marco Giacchetto, Chip Dzerski, Punisher Daredevil. I don't... 
I've never been more excited for Daredevil in my life. Once again, Charles Soule's brilliant, I can't say creation, but story resumes. Hmm, I love it. I love it so much. Moving along, we're going to talk arachnids now a couple times. Superior Spider-Man, number four, Legacy 37, Christos Gage, Mike Hawthorne, Wade Vaughn, Raw Badger, and Jordi Belair. Covered by Travis Terrest. So, this this book here is the aftermath of the last three issues of Terax being detained. Um, pretty much, this is an easy book to wrap up. It's it's kind of a, a fun jab. You definitely very, very, very much get your... <laughs> Superior Spider-Man, I'm more brilliant than you, Wade. Because every time somebody calls him Spider-Man, he's like, it's Superior Spider-Man. But I will say by the end of the story, he's like, you know... so Or somebody goes to correct... And he goes to, like, correct him. He's like, Okay. So at this point, I think he's okay with these... Just being called Spider-Man, even though he knows he's... Superior... But, uh, what it comes down to is he's being told and scolded by Anna, his, uh, associate sidekick, that he should be more uh, involved with the people that he's saving, not just, um, look down on them. Starting with the aftermath of the Terex destruction, because we all know that fucks some shit up. And and doing, so, <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, no, I sent out a bunch of spider bots to all the, uh, um, I mean, to all the places the firefighters couldn't get. It's cool. And she, and Anna's like, I think you can do better. I think you can do way, way better. So why don't you go and do that? And <laughs> so he does, and in doing so, he comes across. He calls apart. Uh, he calls upon the night shift, which are people that have been involved in the last. They're like elemental P list characters, and they have uh, Waxman involved. And when Anna finds out that Waxman is involved in helping, air quotes. She's like, dog, he's a murderer. And Superior Spider-Man immediately tracks him down. And he's like, dude. Well, uh, Waxman is in the midst of uh, well, uh, rescuing a kid. And the kid thinks he's about to be rescued by this very weird figure. Just picture Clayface. And... Um, the, Waxman's like, no, kid. All your troubles are over. And I'm like, oh, dog, maybe this guy's good. But for, I mean, there's not really any indication as to whether he was really going to go through with murdering this kid, he, other than the fact that he had a serial killing history. But I will, uh, so, um, Superior does come in, and he's like whooping that ass. <laughs> he, just, he pretty much stops him from happening. Stops him from existing in that moment. And he, 
Uh, he goes up to Digger in the night shift, and he was like, you know you had a serial killer? And he was like, wait, well, convicted? So it tells me that you don't know for sure if Clayfit or Clayfit, I see I said it, Waxman was really going to hurt this kid because they're really, I mean, there's already people called upon that Superior's okayed that, I mean, that are part of the, the night shift that have questionably most certainly killed someone not necessarily been convicted so then from there uh he's getting more he, you know the the involvement with the community we kind of get more of like a friendly neighborhood version of this character and he goes and he has some some kielbasa sausage with one of the old ladies that assists upon it but the uh the last the last page uh, we get the, the the firefighters are still cleaning out some rubble, and we get some blood broiling, a mm, oil that is red gold, bean juice. Sorry, <laughs> from the surface, and as these firefighters go to check it out, goddamn Doctor Strange. Doctor with an abbreviation, evil Doctor Strange, not mystical Doctor Strange, comes uh, floating up in his evilness, and bum bum bum. That is how that ends. <coughs> More Spider-Man. <sighs> Amazing Spider-Man number 18, Legacy 819, The Hunted, part 2. Getting more of this craven stuff. Part one of The Hunted, I, and I'm just going to, I guess, spoiler, I'm going to go ahead and stand by it, has still been my, issue 17, has been my favorite, favorite Spider-Man issue from Nick Spencer thus far, but this story continues on, and it is really just a continuation of the story very, very much. We get a metaphor in the very beginning, with a centipede and a spider, and some uh, um, elusive narration. There's some words. And yeah, then we carry on to the story. And as we know, or if you've been following, uh, Peter Parker, that is in a black suit at this point, is in this dome being hunted by a bunch of Craven bots along with a bunch of other... Um, Spider-Man villains that are all related to Aminals. These Craven Butts, what we find out near, they are all being avatared by the Hunters, big game Hunters, billionaires, uh, that Craven has recruited. And he's pretty much like, dude, slide your card into this slot and you can, like, make this Craven bot, like, do whatever you want. Like, if you want, like, this Craven bot to look like, like, have, like, bleeding edge powers, like, put this amount of money in. And, like, but if you want it, you get the point. So, that's who we have powering all these individual bots. And that's where those hunters come into play. I thought that was fucking cool how they did that. Um, very, uh, I don't know. That's brilliant. But, 
it's arcade behind it all. Arcade is the developer of this technology and is emailness. And yeah, so keep in mind, arcade does play a part in this. So uh, then we get this reference to Mary Jane towards the end. And this is probably what I'm assuming is the most important part of this book. Still very questionable. There's nothing definitive about any of this. But um, if in the last issue, when Craven Jr., or Baby Craven as I'll call it, not even Craven Jr., I'm going to call him Baby Craven, but younger, faster, stronger, agiler, abilitiver, more Craven is hunting Peter originally to get him into this domicile. Uh, hallucinogenic gas is dispersed, and in his hallucinogenics, this whole Mary Jane is in trouble thing is all up in his brain. And as he's coming to, running f from all of the Craven bots, along with Rhino and Vulture and Scorpion and everybody else, Animal in the Spider-Man Rogue Gallery... Um, it pops back into his head all sober that maybe Mary Jane is in trouble. And then we flash to Mary Jane, who's just dancing to her Spotify playlist, because that's what she likes. She just likes to dance to her Spotify playlist when her spotty's out fighting evildoers with the flu and all. She's cool with that. She likes to dance. But, but, um, we get, uh, that evil son of a bitch that was first introduced in issue number one that still is nameless. And remember the beginning of the metaphor with the centipede and the spider and the centipede taking out the spider? And the worrisomeness of Mary Jane being in trouble? Well, overlooking Mary Jane's tantrum, while this bandaged centipede motherfucker just creepily stares over here, confirming her possible danger. <sighs> God damn, come on, guys, just tell us the name already. You're dragging it out way too much. Way too fucking much. But, nevertheless, still very interesting. Not as strong as uh, part one of the Craven Hunted story, but still a very entertaining issue. Oh, and there's one other part of... Never mind. Never mind. There's some... There's some fuckery afoot. I will say that Taskmaster kills somebody that he probably didn't expect to kill. I was wondering the whole time. Maybe you wondered, too. But, yeah. Taskmaster kills someone, too. Don't forget about him. Oh, man. Yes, no, so. Yes, no, so. <sighs> Amazing Spider-Man number 18... The Hunted carries on. I think the next one we're going to get is a Hunted Point HU. And I think that's going to follow a specific villain. And yeah, that's... There we go. Carrying on. Fantastic Four, number 8, Legacy 653, Dan Slott, Aaron Keeter, Stefano Caselli, David Marquez, and Riley Brown, along with Matt Mackey. Oh, boy. Alright, Galactus has been detained by uh, Zora and her power. 
the and her power is that of the power that Doom has instilled on her. Uh, the Fantastic Four have also been detained, all separately and in their own specific way. Let's go to what Reed Richards is doing. He is stretched to capacity. I, I, this. I love. I, I love. I love this. Reed Richards is stretched to capacity and frozen to the point of... Uh, super cold, let's just put it that way. Doom approaches and he explains all of this. And he's like, here's the deal. If it gets any colder or you stretch anymore, your organs, they gon' you ain't gonna be a thing no more. Carrying on to the next cell, we get um <laughs> Ben and Doom goes in there, and Ben's tied limb to limb. And Doom's like, check it. You have always been able to find some untapped strength to be able to overcome to help your family and your friends. And I, that's, that's what I admire about you. But check it. This prison that I unrigged for you, and rigged, how much? Somebody keeping track of the words. <laughs> the more you struggle and force yourself out of here, the more all of your fellow family members' cells get more and more fucked up. Like, Reed Richards' cell is going to get just like a fraction of a degree colder every time you struggle. And imagine from here how bad it going to be. And then we carry on to the next cell. After, I mean, yeah. And we get Johnny. Oh, Johnny. He's in this tube of liquid. He can breathe in it. But he can't flame on in it. That's a problem for Johnny. It is. Carrying on. <laughs> we, we do flash over to the, the, the kiddos. And they're like, oh no, we can help, and blah, blah, blah. And then we get a scenario where... I'm not sure what to make of this as far as like how it fits into the story. I think it's more flexing of old Franklin. And he's reminiscing about the universes he's created to just be destroyed. And the he's kind of reliving the, the destruction of the lives and all of that. So, kind of... Kind of deep stuff. I, I like. I don't know where it fits into the story. Oh, well, it's a nightmare is what's going on. But yeah, he. Um, and then we go back to <laughs> Doom going to uh, Sue, and he has this ability to the point where he has, for one, um, her cell. Makes it so that if she turns invisible, it's practically useless. And then he also has this uh, vibrational thing going on in her brain to where her force fields can't be a thing. And then he's like, oh, no, you don't really have any offense. You're more defense than anything. And then he's like, and when it's all said and done and after you guys are all executed... By the way, the whole point of all of this is Doom does put out this massive broadcast... 
uh, to everybody, whether you like it or not, you're seeing it, that uh, um, he, he's, he's going to mass execute all of these guys out of principle, because that's how Doom rolls, because he's a good guy now, you know, that's, that's what you do, when you're a good guy, you, you know, you mass execute the Fantastic Four, <laughs> and before he gets to do so, um, for one, uh, Franklin and Val are like, we can help, and, the, uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and say, the babysitter, or quotes, like, no, no, they, they, they got this, we got this, and, <laughs> when Doom approaches, you know, like I referred to earlier, Doom approaches Sue, and he's like, you know, your kids are gonna be cool once you guys are all executed and whatnot, like, I'm gonna take them under my wing, they're gonna be good guys, you know, Doom, the, the, the Richard kids, <sighs> that's, that's gonna be great. And that's just enough to piss Sue off to pull off this transparency thing. And while Doom is broadcasting himself, she transparent-sized, ding, uh, Doom to his pure self, all dysmorphosized and disfigured, ding. <laughs> God damn it. And, yeah, no, he be pissed. So that's where that issue ends. I, god damn, easily, by far, the best issue of, uh, Fantastic Four, ah, god damn, I can't, it's, it's so fucking good, guys, it really is, it is so fucking good, this is Doom, Galactus, the Fantastic Four, the kids not flexing, <laughs> With still flexing in their own dream sequences. They just know that... Uh, the ramblings of a drunk. Let's move on to the last book of the overviews. <sighs> this is a ten part weekly series. Uh, an expensive one. This one's not five dollars, thankfully. This is only a four dollar issue. Avengers, No Road at Home, number seven. 714, legacy number one. Alright, um, Nyx, she has the shard on account of, she saw it through Wanda's eyes back in Camaria. Everybody's all together, and by everybody I mean Conan, Wanda, um, not everybody. Conan, Wanda, Hercules, and Vision? Now, let me explain that. Spectrum's a motherfucker. Spectrum really shows her overpoweriness, and we get out of this some <clears throat> sparkingly evil devastation. Remember how Vision and Hercules are dead, and how I said that Vision and Hercules are like standing here next to Conan and Wanda? Let me explain that, that's on account of Spectrum. Nyx thought she had killed Hercules and Vision. Turns out she didn't. She killed her little, uh, her kids. The ones that were twins. I don't remember their names. Y'all can look it up. Google it. It's worth it, Google. And... <laughs> fucking, this pisses her off. 
it pisses her off to the point where she cracks that shard. And when that shard cracks, it actually unleashes the... It's not the shard that's powerful. It's And the shard being all the parts of her superpowers that were spread throughout, blah, blah, blah. Picture her shards like infinity stones. And when they're all together, it's... Demonstrating. And even the single shards themselves, when their power is unleashed, it is questionably massive. Questionably being the key word there, because no one really knows the true power of it all. So, uh, we get a battle going on there, but wait, there's more. Remember how many more Avengers there were? Yeah, no, there's still Hawkeye, Hulk, and Rocket in the Nightmare Realm. They had just killed Hypnos. Hulk has the that other shard. And Nightmare, in the meantime, is like, hey, dog, on account of y'all ain't dying here and nothing scary is going on, y'all should leave, get the fuck out. And Hulk's like, well, uh, maybe we should go to Euphoria. I, I mean, there's, yeah, and Hawkeye's like, what? And then he sees it in Hulk's eye that, like, there's there's something more to that. And Hawkeye is... <laughs> he, like, check it out. If you do anything stupid, I'm not gonna weird, need some weird banner killer arrow to stop you. We're just gonna, I'm just gonna make that happen. And Hulk's like, you know, fucking, right, whatever. Now we're talking. Now we're ha Hulk say, now we're having fun. Of course, that's not how he says it now. Keep in mind, Al Ewing is writing all this. <sighs> Then we go back to Scarlet Witch, and Spectrum, and Hercules, and Vision, and Conan, and that fight. <laughs> Hercules is unaffected by uh, Osmus' power, Osmus being Nyx's youngest and most powerful uh uh, not sibling, but spawn, I guess, if you will, kid, child, and when Conan sees Vision, <laughs> he doesn't know how to react, when Conan sees anything at this point, the first thing he sees is Vision when he comes to this world, he just reacts by swinging his axe at Vision's head, while Vision's like, no, I'm one of the good guys, and uh, what does Conan say? He's like, oh, uh, Steel Devil. That's what he calls him, a Steel Devil. And then people step in, like, no, he's not the bad guy. And then Conan realizes that Nyx is the bad guy, and he's like, Conan and his cockiness is like, fucking, I, she ain't shit. She ain't shit. I got this. And then Osmias comes in, and he takes over his brain with the despair. All that, and open and Nyx opens his portal, and I'll be damned if it isn't Conan's beloved. What's her name? Belit, the the dead that comes out to attack Conan, and he doesn't know how to react, and that's how the fucking issue ends. So, at this point, I think we can confer, can concur. 
that Conan is a part of this universe. And, god damn, is it... I dig it. It's exactly how I would imagine Conan would react with all of this shit going on. I think it's all very well written. I don't know who... I would, if I had to guess, I would say it's Jim Zub writing Conan's dialogue and script and all that. Don't care. Fucking love it. So that wraps it up for the normal over, over overview of the week. There was some amazing stuff in mainstream comics and in, indie comics. Oh, man, I'll get to my favorite in a moment. But first, I want to go to the creator submission of the week. I welcome up-and-comers to submit their work to me. And if you are brave enough to put your stuff out there for the billions and billions and billions of people that are listening. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, look to your left. Someone's listening. And if they're not, they should be. <laughs> Anyways, that's my joke of the day. So, yeah, no, the fact is, is that I welcome all of you creators out there to send me your stuff. Uh, there, I do say that the uh, shorter the better. I'm going to get to it a lot faster. Webtoon, or web comics I love, you know, send me, like, a, a snippet of what you recommend I read. Uh, manga, I will say that you're really teetering there. Probably not going to get the most uh, aggressively optimistic review if you send me manga, but that doesn't mean don't send it to me. Prefer you don't, but I'm still going to give it a fair chance. So, let's get on with this shit. Not shit. This is the creator submission. Boom, boom, boom. This week, I am uh, introducing a sci-fi adult-themed comic called Starfall Saga. And I reviewed, I'm, I'm doing issues number one and two, and that was submitted to me. So, I'm going to go ahead and talk about all uh, 70 pages. Not necessarily. But being that I was submitted 70 pages, it did take me just a wee bit longer to get to. And, yeah. Let's get on with this. Uh, initially, my, my first initial thoughts after the intro and, like, the first three pages was, I can dig this shit. It actually got me a little woozy. It, tw it twiggered. It triggered some of uh, my... Um, uh, I don't, I don't know what you call it, but shit that would normally make me woozy. Phobias, I guess, is what you would call it. And let's talk about that. Uh, blood. Yeah, blood. Gets me going. <laughs> uh, blood is a big part of this story. It's a commodity. It's like cash. And, uh, it's, it's, it is currency, essentially. Without your donation, you're not given the essentials to be able to survive properly. Now, the people that need this blood, they get the, all that healthy blood. They be the royals. That they do. 
and uh, that that whole concept initially intrigued me very very much. Now, to this is where I give credit to the creators, the Starfall Saga by um, Costas. I practiced, I'm still going to butcher it. Avagaladicus. Avagaladicus. And Arisabariotis. Sorry, guys. These guys are making something that I'm very, very intrigued with. Uh, reading the first issue, there's there's lots of things to say. There's very a various amount of settings that take place. Um, not an abundance of characters, which I say I enjoy very very much. Being that this is a new story, one thing that tends to really bother me when you're introducing a new story is introducing a fuck ton of new characters. And really, I think that I've only found four essential characters throughout reading the first two issues. And once again, I say I enjoy that very, very much. Especially for being a small-brained person. So, uh, our, our various scenarios, or scenarios, settings, uh, one of them being Metropolis 1, specifically. Metropolis 1, this is important because all the, there are various metropolises, apparently. Um, there's a... <laughs> there, there's a... The stealing of blood. We get this guy who's running through this cityscape. And we get this law enforcement folk chasing after him. The, the stealer of blood gets away on account of this merchant gypsy feller, uh, blind, uh, opens up his, um, booth, and there's a secret under, underground, uh, whatchamahabit, ding, <laughs> god damn it, under there, and... The, the the blood tube vial thing that is being uh, stolen is delivered to somebody else and then we transfer over to a new setting. And the, this is the setting that I believe to probably be the most uh, essential, common, and vital to the story. And this setting being called the Farlands, which takes place many, 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 many miles away. Not my words. Definitely my words, not theirs. <laughs> Sorry, guys. And then we're introduced to probably the most uh, pivotal characters of our story. Mamantoya and Orlik. Mamantoya seems to be this father figure to Orlik. Uh, they are in this training session, and during this training session, somebody comes at them, bro. And they're like, no, no, trouble. And Orlik's, no, I must stop, stop the trouble. And he goes to stop the trouble. And uh, then we get a vague introduction of what is probably the main antagonist to at least the first part of the story. And that is the character by the name of Malik. Malik? Excuse me. Malik. And that is a very, 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 very basic rundown of the first issue. 
What we get out of the first issue is the introduction to what I believe, Momentoya and Orlik, which is a Piccolo-Gohan type of metaphorical relationship, if you will. Um, two various scenarios, and one pivotal factor to this story, that is that blood is the currency and key to survival. And uh, the way blood is donated is through, like, this chip that's in people's wrists. And, you know, you give blood, you're going to live. Um, as far as currency, you're given currency, or however that goes, essentially. Uh, I'm going to briefly talk about issue number two now. Issue number two introduces uh, a metropolis, too where there is a blood donation center and some fuckery outfit. And we get a character by the name of Chaka that um, introduces himself to Momentoya and Orlik. Uh, Momentoya and Orlik are joining this caravan from the Farlands on their way to Metropolis 1. So what I gather of this is Metropolis 1 seems to be the safe haven. Or the uh, the place you want to be. So, um, that is a very brief description of the, the synopsis of issue number two. Now, keep in mind, I don't give an overview of the, the indie books that I'm reviewing. Because I still, I, I, would, I, I want you guys to go out and read these books for yourself. I don't need to give anything away or anything like that. Um, essentially what I'm doing is hyping them up. Now, with that, uh, this is not an overview, overview, this is a review. So, um, while reading this book, I, these are indie creators, very new, and I I don't mean to be judgmental, but based off of their names, and the way the dialogue goes throughout the story... I can only assume that it is translated through Google Translate. Because some of the dialogue, I totally understand where they're going with this. The writing just doesn't seem like it is written by an American, if you will. And once again, I don't mean to bring anything into that. I just feel like um, I got to call out the editors because it's just not translated properly, if you will. And with the editors, I would also say that the uh, the talk bubbles, I um I, I do kind of have an issue with the uh, with the talk bubbles. There's there's points and times where things connect that shouldn't connect and things that should connect don't connect properly. Uh, and the, the, once again, it just kind of goes to the translation of things. I just have to assume that this is done by, uh, Europe, Europeans that are reaching out to the Western audience, and I appreciate that. I do appreciate that very, very much. And I will say with all of that, like, being that the dialogue doesn't quite translate, it translates enough to where I totally understand the 
the, the, the point and everything that's trying to be portrayed throughout all of this. So, it really just comes down to a matter of um, editing, even like, I hate to even, I hate to say it, but uh, spelling, like there's some spell check things, like words just, once again, it just proves my, my, my theory, not necessarily proves, but backs my theory of maybe it is translated through Google Translate. So, other than all of that, I really, really enjoy the the premise throughout the story. The main characters seem very interesting and have a bunch of potential. I like the fact that this is not just an issue one to see what happens. We're already at issue two. I like that. We're introducing only just one new character, seemingly a vital character, but what it, kind of, what it goes back to circulates to my point where there's not a whole bunch of goddamn new characters being introduced and a new story that nobody knows a goddamn thing about. So, once again, this is Starfall, try again, Starfall Saga, number one and two, by Kostis Evangeliadakis and Aris Aris Saboriotis. Um, uh, rated R for language and violence. There is violence. Haven't really come across the language quite yet. That might be the language barrier that I could be talking about, maybe? Other than that, I really, I am going to continue to read this story despite the possible language barrier. I hope that the used creators take my advice and maybe look into maybe giving your um, editors a bit of a kick in the ass. Uh, other than that, I, I, I am excited about this story, and I thank you very, very much for submitting to the Creator Submission this week. Now, with all of that being said, I want to talk about, talk about my favorites. As if you guys have been listening all the way through, you know that this is a longer podcast on account of all the um, long things there is to talk about. Now, my favorites. <laughs> well, I guess I sh- before I get to the favorites, fuck that up. Let's talk about the stuff that I almost got to. I'm going to go through this real quick. Uh, I call this the honorable mentions, if you will. Uh, Martian Manhunter number four was a book that I think at this point, after reading the first three issues, I'm going to read in chunks more than anything, so I'm going to stack this up before I file it away. Uh, Fight Club number three, probably the most understandable issue, least explainable issue. So Chuck Palahniuk, still doing his goddamn thing. Alien three by William, the William Gibson's unknown, or unknown, she's not unknown, very known, uh, probably should have been made into the actual script, unproduced screenplay, said that all wrong, so through issue 5 it's all wrapped up now, uh, stay tuned because this book is going to come into play in the future content, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Urban Legends number 11, Continuing on with that, once again, it's going to be read in massive chunks. Hopefully, I can produce some content on that. Um, yes. 
carrying on. More uh, from Image Comics, The Realm. This will be read in chunks after the first two volumes in trade and trying to read uh, number 12. I, it's hard to keep up with the context of everything because of the, the production rate. So this is a trade book for sure, but I am still collecting single issues because I'm a completionist. Hellboy and the BPRD, number 56, issue number 5. Not number 56, 1956, issue number 5. Uh, I believe this issue is wrapped up now. It's a mini. Uh, Mike Mignola, this is kind of a, almost a not necessarily an origin story, but Hellboy in the beginning type of thing. Kind of digging it. So that's all I have for honorable mentions. Let's talk about the pretty stuff. Let's move on to wall books. Wall books is the stuff that I purchase essentially just for the uh, the cover art. I have a hallway leading into the studio that is Cerebro, and it is lined with wall books. Pretty, 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 pretty wall books. So, let's talk about this week's version. Detective Comics. As you all know, there's a trillion and sixteen variants. I bought one beyond the Jim Lee uh, or cover A. I thought Capullo's cover was pretty fucking dope. And the ends that Kulo... Kulo. Not Kulo. Capullo got the 2010's decade. And I found it to be one of my favorite. I dug it. I dug it very much. So I spent 20 bucks on that goddamn title. Carrying on. Batman Beyond number 30. I bought the Ben Oliver variant. And I'll be damned if it is not going to look fucking dandy. Fucking dandy on my wall. Uh, the next variant I picked up, I can't say that I chose this variant. This variant chose me. Uh, I just so happen to be one of the lucky ones on my LCS to get the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers variant virgin cover with the, uh, oh, fuck, I forgot the goddamn Rangers name. I'm having a hard time with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers characters and all that. Not my generation Power Rangers. Still reading the story. It's very, very, very enjoyable. That fucking cover, though. Hmm. Hmm. That's some good stuff. Last wall book of the week. <sighs> Remember when I said that the cover of the year went to Spawn 294, but I said prepare for Spawn 295 because it's probably going to get it? Well, up close and personal, it gets it. Francesco Matina's Spawn 295. We got Spawn with the Violator's head all gooey in his hands. I'll be damned if this is not the prettiest cover of 2019 through the first quarter. Fuck, is it good. Guys, alright. Let's move on to top picks. Um, this was a very, very difficult week for picking picks, picking the picks, a pick of pickle peppers. Um, 
I don't. There was three. There's definitely three that I'm very, very, very certain for. For overall, <laughs> golly, my words aren't working on account of the beer. Thanks, Upslope. I'm going to start out with cover of the week, and that is going to obviously go to. I uh, mean, it's just segue into uh, Spawn 295 on account of its cover of the year. It's only a. Obviously, it's cover of the week as well. But that Ben Oliver Batman Beyond cover, pretty fucking close. Like, if it wasn't for this Spawn cover, the Ben Oliver cover would have been a no goddamn brainer. Um. Uh, illust- er, insides of the week go to Marco Cicchetto naturally with his daredevil there are some very very good gizzards this week but the Marco Cicchetto he just he's got a magic hand I'm, he, he's, he sold his soul to devil daredevil it all makes sense uh, but the the book of the week it came down to three it came down to Batman Beyond Doctor Strange and Fantastic Four. Now, Batman Beyond has all, seemingly been, at least, if not always, at very minimum, the runner-up when it's been featured. But, I, th- I man, I'm, I'm, as you can tell, I'm deciding on the spot. Uh... I'm going to have to give it to Fantastic Four. Being that it is a title that I was super skeptical about, didn't have a lot of hope for, uh, thought it was going to be an issue number one and done for the collection, Dan Slott is making magic. He really is. I love Doom being evil, still claiming to be good. I love that the Fantastic Four still finds their 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 ways of just being better, proving miscalculations to the great, uh, to me, Fantastic Four, I, this book is, god damn, I, you know, there's so many metaphors I was getting ready to throw out, I was about to come out and do a whole jumbled thing, probably offend some people, to be honest, so I'm just, I'm gonna go ahead and say that Fantastic Four is, refreshing is going to be the word I'm going to give it. Um, yes. No, it, it, with it only being a few issues in, this is a book that is easy to jump into and highly suggestible. So, kudos to Dan Slot on all of that good stuff. So, let's move on to what there is to be hyped for next week and it's a small week but at the same time a heavy week so let's start out with some indies huh boom studios is putting out rocco's modern afterlife now if you're anything like me you love you some rocco rocco's modern afterlife super fucking intriguing dead rocco dead rocco and there's a goddamn virgin cover that looks super dope. Um, let's move on to uh, Marvel. Let's move on to Marvel. Why don't we? War of the Realms. 
<laughs> yes, it is here. War of the Realms, number one. Jason Aaron and Russell Dodderman. I have been hyped and will continue to be hyped for this story. I could not be more excited for a book. It is, as I have explained, and the media has explained, there's a fucking theme song. Enough said. Never mind. Carrying on. Go buy War of the Realms, otherwise you're silly. Uncanny X-Men number 15, Matthew Rosenberg and Salvador La Roca. Totally reading that. Punisher number 11, more Matthew Rath- Mosenberg. Try that again. Matthew Rosenberg. And Zyman Kredansky. My favorite duo in all of comics. Major X, number one, Rob Liefeld. So this book is actually, there's a there's a variant out there that's already gone into second print. I know it's weird, before it even goes on sale, there's a second printing. But, yeah, no, there's some fucking hype around this shit. Uh, Mortal Hulk, number 16, Al Ewing and Joe Bennett. Um, everyone knows about Immortal Hulk at this point. Probably the most valuable ongoing series in comic books. Cosmic Ghost Rider destroys Marvel history. Number two, Paul Shear, Dick Giamanetti, and Gerardo Sandoval. Uh, this book was... Issue one wasn't what I expected, but I still have a lot of faith. It is, in fact, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Conan the Barbarian, number five, Jason Aaron and Mama Azar. Jason Aaron's a busy guy. Because he's the best. Conan's been amazing. Continue to read Conan. Champions, uh, number four, Jim Zub and Steve Cummings. Avengers No Road Home, number eight, Al Ewing and Paco Medina, along with Jim Zub and uh, uh, various other amount. Uh, Mark Wade, that's the guy. Knows <laughs> the following. And uh, last but not least for Marvel, we have... Well, there's a couple, actually. Never mind. Amazing Spider-Man number 18, point H-U. And as I referred to earlier, it is a uh, um, a one-shot. But still tied to the hunted story of Amazing Spider-Man. And then we got Age of X-Men, Prisoner X number 2, Vida Ayala, and Germán Peralta. So, that's all I got from Marvel. Let's move on to Image, shall we? Walking Dead number 190, Robert Kirkman, Charlie Adlard, along with some various others. Self-made, Matt, number 5, Matt Groom, Eduardo Ferigato and Marcelo Costa. Paper Girls, number 27, Brian K. Bond, Cliff Chang, and Matt Wilson. Ooh, We Die, number 5, is back, Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans. Fun stuff there. And let's move on to uh, DC, shall we? Alright, well, let's go to the Sandman universe. Huh? Well, DC Vertigo action? Yeah. Dreaming, number 8. Simon Spurrier and Abigail Larson. We've also got Young Justice, number 4. 
Brian Michael Benz, Patrick Gleason, and John Timms. Wonder Woman number 67, G. Willow Wilson, Carrie Nord, and Mick Gray. Alright, Justice League number 21. God damn, this series is moving fast. But no, ever since the annual, I'm okay with it now. It's super fucking good. Scott Snyder and Jorge Jimenez. I want to know what the future Justice League's all about. Harley Quinn, number 60, Sam Humphreys, and Sammy Bossery. I recent, I actually did just add this to my poll list this week, so I will be talking about it to Harley Quinn. Um, and, uh, that is, oh, and Deathstroke, number 42, Christopher Priest, Adam Glass, Carlo Pagayulon, said that wrong, and Jason Pez. That's all I got for... Um, my personal hype list next week, keep in mind there's like 65 dozen more comics on top of all of that. Guys, go to your local comic book store, buy you some comics. Indie comics, superhero, Marvel, DC, it doesn't matter. Just fucking buy the comics. It's, I don't, if you're not hyped on any of that list, you're, you're silly. You're silly. And, with all of that being said, I would like to congratulate a couple of winners. We got some winners. Cheers to Comics creates winners. That's what we do. We breed winners. Giveaway winners. Those giveaway winners, um, through Twitter. And we've got a little bit of Jimbo and a little bit of Mason. So both of you guys, between the two of you, I'm mailing out three comics this week. Some Art Germ, some Derek Chu, and uh, more Art Germ. Because everybody loves the Art Germ. So, with all of that being said, that's a wrap on this podcast. I know it was super long, but there was some amazing stuff to put. From Tango Map. And I don't cut out stuff that needs to be talked about on account of time. There's timestamps for that shit. So, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook for the social media. Listen to us on iTunes, Google, Podbean, now on Stitcher, that's new, and uh, YouTube. There's a YouTube stuff, you know, all that. And if you are on YouTube, subscribe. Subscribe to all of it, everything. It's all good. Hit the bell. Good stuff, guys. Um, with all of that being said, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate all of your ears, every single one of them, no matter how cauliflower, deformed, perfect, pierced, and goofy, sticking outy they may be. I am Brian Wayne. This is the Cheers to Comics podcast. Ha! <laughs> responsibly.